gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hooray! Hurrah! Once again, we're here. The Proopcast takes to the ether from the cerulean confines of Western Hollywood's most enchanting comedy, Concobulation, and it's the uh, Bar Lubitsch, once again, located across the street from Rockstar Pets and next door to the Bizarre Voda Spa that advertises it's open till midnight in case you're lonely. Uh, the pleasure chest is but yards away from here, and we can feel its pull uh, here as we are in the month of Schmovember. Um, once again, uh, we were, we're just back from Denver and uh, couldn't be more excited. Uh, we had a good time in Denver. We're recording this, I think, two or three days. On, well, no, that was last Wednesday. Anyway, we're recording this on a Monday, uh, and a whole bunch of things are going to happen by the time this drops next Monday. So, because there's 50 water dates every day and 17 9-11s every afternoon with this fucking malfeasant group of fucking Scambino crime family. Family, Orange 45, Mango, Mussolini, Benito, Cheeto, fucking Ivanka wants to be in the government and Jared's transitioning into a dinosaur. <laughs> Motley crew of fucking unbelievable laborious assholes and their hangers on. Uh, like we were just discussing before the show, Steve Bannon met with the Zionists this weekend and it's like, wow, what is the world coming to? Golda Meir would roll herself up on a ball like an armadillo and smash you. <laughs> The entire, that's right, David Ben-Gurion would be a thundercat and just swing down at you. Oh, Steve Bannon. Why is he melting? And why is he maybe the most repulsive person? And this is going some. There's been some repulsive guys in the U.S. government. I don't know if anybody remembers Ed Meese from the 80s or John Mitchell from the 70s. And there's been some, uh, not a lot of oil paintings, uh, is what I was going to say, in a lot of these Republican administrations. The Democrats actually snuck in a good-looking person here or there. That's the big trick of being a Democrat. We're the cute party of, uh, of good-looking people who can buy clothes and shit. The Republicans always look like they're going to the fucking uh, little house on the prairie Sarah Huckaboom pound cake fucking barn raising or whatever and the way the party's been going the last few years and they're going to at the next convention they're going to have hog calling and cross burning um, in case you were wondering what side I'm on let me make that clear uh, I'm a hill cat through and through when Hillary comes through Michelle is here tonight and Michelle before the show uh, to the delight of the crowd here took out a, a Hillary Clinton onesie out of a paper bag and I don't think there's any greater party trick you can pull for your friends in this day and age when everybody's moping around and drinking too much and taking a lot of drugs and thinking fuck why do I even get up in the morning when they're going to deport a veteran um, or whatever it is you're thinking in your guilty conscience uh, that a uh, uh, if you bring to a party a, a Hillary Clinton onesie, like say you were going to a jam jam party and um, you were going to eat, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, ice cream out of the out of the out of the carton uh, and and just fucking sit cross legged on the floor and have your you know uh, uh, your facial on and cucumber eye things and whatnot and uh, no one has parties like this. I'm the only person who I'm like what I'm Nancy Kwan. I talk on the telephone for hours with a pound and a half of cream upon my face. Um, you know, when you're sorting through your shoes and taking Polaroids of each other, that's the moment, I think, after you've had some uh, cherry wine, as Jermaine Stewart would say, and uh, uh, crack out a, a Hillary Clinton onesie. Just produce one out of a bag. Better yet, if you're at a pajama party, produce like eight. And uh, everybody wears a Hillary clothes, and then we can all pretend about the rumors in the 90s and just rub it. And... Um, <laughs> And then maybe kill a good friend or force them to commit suicide and then uh, make an unsuccessful land deal and then be investigated for the rest of your fucking life. Um, that's what the Hillary Clinton onesie makes me want to do. Also, uh, it makes me want to just break loose. Um, the thought of Hillary in a onesie, because Hillary's, I've seen her live and she's um, diminutive. 
She's a humble figure. She's a Christmas ornament. You could hold her in your hand. She is the little woman. And uh, very powerful, though. Enormous head. And that's what, that's what yeah, like a chipmunk. Uh, she will come at you and she will destroy you with her powerful rays. And also, she's armed with, uh, what's that called? Um, knowledge. And uh, for every time someone goes, well, I'm a little, little fat. I don't know why he called me fat. I didn't call him fat. And little fat man in the crazy park and bar. Um, she would be like, huh, I've already got his phone number. And uh, I called a car for him and he's going to get in it and be taken to a, a swamp somewhere. Uh, thank you. That was Hillary disposing of Duarte in a covert way. Well, that's been the show. Thanks so much for coming out tonight, you guys. I just thought it was adorable. And I, she said to me, Greg, you can have it if you can fit in it. And I'm like, I'm pretty big. Uh, I think you need a William Howard Taft onesie for me. Um, thank you for not knowing who William Howard Taft was, ladies and gentlemen, or perhaps just finding a lack of paucity of humor and the obesity of one of our most uh, significant turn-of-the-century presidents. Why was he significant? Not for any political reason. Uh, he wore a top hat, and uh, he had a special bathtub brought into the White House because he was so goddamn big. I think he was right around 300. And um, my friend Warren Thomas used to sing this song. Who's the president who won't cop out when there's Congress all about Taft? Right on. <laughs> they say this cat Taft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Talking about Taft. Uh, and we can dig it. He's a complicated president and no one understands him but his first lady, Mrs. Taft. Da-da-dum, 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 bum. Uh, he threw out, he's the first president to throw out a baseball at a game. Um, I can't remember what year. 1910, does that sound right? See, before that, I've just fucked myself as a historian. I need Michael Beschloss here. Michael Beschloss would go, Taft was an interesting president. He's the first president to put bread and flour all over his biography and cook it up later and eat it for himself. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, hoping, and I'm wishing, and I'm opining, uh, that um, when Thanksgiving rolls around this year, in a couple weeks' time, that Orange 45 plays true to form and has the turkey tortured in front of us <laughs> and waterboarded and then rendition, right? There's a wall. The turkeys have to jump over it. Turkeys are shitty at flying. There's some carnage there. Then a couple of turkey ice agents show up and roust a few of them because the turkeys are from Canada or whatever and send them right back over the border. Um, it was always a time when Obama would make like turkey jokes and... Um, uh, his lovely daughters would be, just stand there like this uh, as as once I believe it was um, in England Jennifer and I always remembered a line from um, I can't remember if it was Enemy or Melody Maker there was a group called Shampoo and I don't know if you remember Shampoo their song went uh oh we're in trouble but if you're bent this way there was a Pam Anderson movie yes a Pam Anderson movie called Barbed Wire and they did the theme song to that movie why do you know all this Greg I told you I talk on the telephone for hours and uh, uh uh, and that song went Don't Call Me Babe But they had northern accents So they went Don't call me babe Like that And it was really good And um, uh, a critic went to one of their concerts And described their demeanor uh, Their demeanor during the interview as That they had been invited to their dead grandmother's funeral And uh, I'm going to pause here for a moment And let that saturate in for a while And that's how I felt About whatever I was talking about a minute ago <laughs> The bitterness has already set in. No, uh, that, uh, um, what was it, Taft's inauguration? Oh, the turkey. 
Oh, yes, the turkeys. Yes, let's not forget about the turkeys. They were against me from the start, all of them. It was the turkeys that started it. I told them they shouldn't have them at Thanksgiving. They should have them wait till Christmas, but they wouldn't listen to me, would they? Then Fred McMurray comes to question me. Well, Captain Proops, what night was it that you went to the bar Lubitsch and nobody laughed for two hours? It's November, right before Thanksgiving. I tried to teach the turkeys to fly, but they were unwilling. We'll be back to the Proops mutiny after this. Now a word from your sponsor. Uh, no, that uh, Obama would tell bad turkey jokes and stuff. He'd be like, uh, well, this bird uh, isn't going to a sanctuary. <laughs> because he, we don't want it to gobble up the prophets. <laughs> and the daughters with Sasha... <sighs> Like she was at her dead grandmother's funeral, which was the point of this whole fucking exercise. Um, there was a lot of eye rolling and toe digging, which uh, you only hear about in novels when you read that people roll their eyes and dig their toes in the ground. And you could actually see them do that if you watch the videos every year for eight years. They go like this. And it's the cutest thing. So this year, I presume, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, Natasha Fatal and him are going to come out there uh, with the little saddle beef and... Uh, and the, and the turkey will be there, and uh, and he'll go. It's a really great turkey, big turkey. Uh, a lot of white meat, more white meat than dark meat. Although there's very fine meat on all sides of the turkey. And then Melania will go. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I hope it is a lovely time for you and your family. Oh. You're feeling warm already at the memory of it. What's a memory before you have it? Preja vu? Because that's what I'm having right now. And then he's going to have um, Stephen Miller uh, and Jared beat the turkey to death with a, an aluminum Louisville slugger. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. And, and then he's going to turn to the camera and go, and let that be a warning to anybody who fucking defies this administration. And then Donald Jr. is going to walk in and go, Happy Halloween! <laughs> uh, Michelle also gave me this. First of all, uh, Kimberly gave me this lovely bottle of uh, uh, um, vodka, is it? And uh, uh, Jennifer, can I have that Dr. Don Rose uh, CD? I don't know if there's writing on the back of it. There is. There is? Yeah. He, I've gone off mic. And this is going to be one of the most exciting moments in audio podcast history. As the Doppler effect takes place and you hear me actually leave the stage, uh, James is here tonight. And James gave me this. Greg, we were only separated by 10 years. And the Belmont Theater. Thank you. I'm from San Carlos, California, the widest place on earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival, where... Take out the fruit. The powerful taste is burning our tongue. Um, it's where the explorer Portola stopped for nachos on his way to discovering Fremont. Vestiges of our Spanish heritage were everywhere. One only had to walk through a vacant lot to find a Taco Bell wrapper. The thing is, we were very white. I've told you this story. We had riots at our school because they bust uh, kids in from East Palo Alto. Uh, and James, are you from Belmont or San Oh, you're from San Mateo. You just told me. He, he's from San Mateo, which is two, two cities up. Uh, Belmont lays in between. Belmont means beautiful mountain. Um, the area where I live in on the peninsula or grew up in... Uh, south of San Francisco, just completely dotted with alpine peaks. 
Um, really like the Apennines or uh, the Pyrenees. When you're, uh, there's a lot of people singing and carrying a sheep on a stick and whatnot. And they're like, oh, Langor, and then we all have a dance afterward and everybody wears those weird knicker pants and the little hats with the feathers in them. Um, it's really something else. You should visit uh, the Belmont San Carlos area. We cure hams in the wind. Um, there's a lot of almonds and a lot of olive oil. It's a really rich, lush area. And the lore, oh my God, on a dark cold night, white people gathered around. <laughs> gathered around a keg of beer and became quite drunk until the San Carlos Police Department came. The truncheons rang like so many metal hooks against the cobblestone street. I don't know why they spoke like bad Bella Lugosi, but they do in the town I come from. Listen to the white people of the night. What music they make. Uh, so you, uh, James is from San Mateo and San Mateo is slightly more sophisticated I'm not kidding when I lived there in the 70s although he lived there in the 80s um, San Mateo had us more stuff San Carlos has two streets and, uh, and a horse that runs up and down and we all watch it <laughs> that one fucking horse and um when I lived there, the big entertainment was to, for us, we were teenagers, we had nowhere to go, you see. We'd go to Lyons Coffee Shop uh, across the street from the Laurel Theater on Laurel Boulevard and drink coffee all night and shit like that. Or uh, we would go up into the hills and smoke weed. Or my friend Forrest lived on a street called Devonshire. And at the end of Devonshire, yeah, Devonshire. Yes, it was a fine English countryside. <laughs> the hounds snapping at your heels. Oh, the dew is on the thorn. The caterpillars again on the rose. We few, we lucky few, striding down Devonshire with our marijuana already rolled. You got any fog hat? I don't think I have Queen on there. Because we would listen to Queen. I remember listening to the whole album of News in the, of the World in quadraphonic, parked in, parked in a Volkswagen Rabbit at the end of Devonshire. There was a construction site there, and we broke into it, and there was a cooler full of beer that the construction workers had left, and we drank their fucking beer. <laughs> it, what, do you got anything? Got some Aerosmith fog hat? There's no fog hat on my... Is there? You have Queen? That's a spirit. I saw Queen in Cons. Oh, that's far not the era that I'm talking about. Here, go back and get Aerosmith. Walk this way. Um, the under pressure is far too hip, and it has David Bowie involved in it. Even though I'm certain that they got no closer to each other than we are now by two cities. Uh, it was uh, they. I think when you watch the video of Under Pressure on YouTube, it's clearly them sort of dubbed in to each other, and like they cut to David Bowie, and then they cut to Freddie Mercury, and there have never been a concert where they actually sang the fucking song together. Although my favorite moment um, when David Bowie died, of course, it was a terrible, a terrible. Fr I guess we're doing Aerosmith. Let's do this. So. You can't really do Aerosmith, can you? Oh, you kind of can. This is Joe Perry. So, um, the, the cheerleaders, uh, I mean, the... the 
the jocks at my high school and I had a dinky you know our football team wasn't so hot uh, a lot of white people um Dressed up as uh, girls, dressed up in the cheerleaders' outfits, and did a hilarious routine to this at one of our variety shows. Uh, to great acclaim, it was actually brought back for another variety show because it was so popular. You might turn that down a little. And then me and my buddies did a 50s song because, as you know, the 70s were the 50s. You may remember Happy Days. We had the 50s shoved back on us again 20 years after, much like the children of today think the 80s are hilarious, as do we all. <laughs> I never wore jellies. I just want to tell you that. I wore a Bundeswehr wife beater, and uh, I, I had many O-rings. I had more O-rings than Madonna, but I didn't wear fucking jellies at any point. Famularis, yes. Uh, so this uh, CD that James has given me here, and I assume he's from San, uh, San Mateo, was the Belmont Theater already closed? Oh, it is now. Um, the Belmont was three theaters, and it was the uh, the Belmont and then the Bell Art. And I saw um, The Omen there and Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, my God, I saw 5,000 movies there. Um, Yellow Submarine. How old am I? I saw fucking Yellow Submarine at the Belmont Theater with my friend uh, Jeff Belton. And I wouldn't stop... Jeff Belton and I went to 2,000 movies together and I would talk through every movie and Jeff would go, would you please shut up? And I would go, why? And then I'd never shut up and then he'd go, will you please shut up? And then he'd go, shut up! And then he'd, get, then he'd move and then I'd move back over to him and then he'd go, will you shut up? And then I'd go like this, fuck you! And he'd go like, fuck you! And that, we spent our whole childhood doing this to each other. And uh, we saw earthquake at the Belmont Theater and they brought in speakers and it said because it was presented in if you remember the miracle of sense around which meant they put like a couple of big bass amps in the theater and just cranked them up during the fucking earthquake portions and in the movie awesomely um Charlton Heston's mother is Ava Gardner, I think, which is just fantastic. I don't even know if you, the chronology on that. Victoria Principles in it. Uh, and, uh, and the crowd goes quiet. Marjo Gortner plays a white supremacist survivalist in it. Marjo Gortner was a person who had been a minister from the age of... Will you turn that down a little bit because it's really on my tits. Um, I know I asked you to play it, but it was, uh, I, I was hoping that we had um, something off, you know, because that was when I was in high school. Buddy, you're a boy, make a small noise, fighting in the thing, and there's a paper clip. Bing, one day you got a blood eye face, lots of mace, drinking your licorice all over my face, singing tweee, whatever the fucking words were. That was good. It was good. All right! And then a fucking Brian May solo. Is everything okay? Is your guitar clogged? What happened there? You could always tell a Queen song because any other song would be like Aerosmith and be like ow, 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 or Led Zeppelin boom, 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 boom. Queen would be what really really okay rock with a Q U E take your time and laugh harder so. Queen was awesome. Uh, I went to see a bunch of concerts that month with my cousin Donnie. And it was um, The Tubes, uh, Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart. And he wore, uh, this was right before the disco era. So he was, it was bell-bottom jumpsuits. 
The guitar player wore a big apple hat, you know, those kind of with the New York, you know, the flat one with the brim. And uh, he did the duck walk. He did the duck walk. At one point, soccer balls were thrown out onto the stage and Rod Stewart would head them or kick them into the audience. That went on a while. Uh, yeah, it was good. He opened with Three Time Loser, which is a fucking, I don't have that one on my thing. I don't think. Do I have any Rod Stewart? I think I, so he closed with this one, I believe, if you, right? This is a fucking good. I know you're like, Rod Stewart, isn't he like a sofa? Isn't, doesn't he work on a cruise ship or something? No. There was a time where Rod Stewart strode tall. I don't have a mic stand here, but Rod Stewart. Right? All knees. Mick Jagger's all. Rod Stewart. Wow! Yeah. Can you play this really, really fucking loud for a second? So it was good. And uh, we were at the Cow Palace, which is the worst venue in the history of the world. Um, I, I haven't been to everywhere in the world, but I've been to many shows at the Cow Palace. Uh, uh, Rod Stewart, Kiss, Cheap Trick, and um, the Grand National Rodeo, which is what it was meant for. It's called the Cow Palace. A place that venerates cows and builds a palace to them is either a Hindu place in Hyderabad or... <laughs> Is in Daly City, California, quite close to San Francisco. There was nothing around it, so you couldn't eat there. You couldn't eat beforehand. There, there was literally nothing around it. It was like it was uh, Warsaw. And you went, and it was this giant structure. Turn that down, Lori Rye. Thank you. And um, uh, 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 it was built for rodeos and cow shows and shit like that. But Elvis Presley played there. The Beatles played there. My friend Jeff Belton saw the Beatles there. His sister took him in 1965. I was a little young for that one. Thank you very much. And I think he saw Elvis there too. Um, everybody played there. Um, I saw Fog Hat. What was the bill? Fog Hat, Rick Derringer, and Sammy Hagar. Is there any Rick Derringer on there? <laughs> Yeah, you know what you signed up for tonight. We can talk about the fucking dire state of the world all you fucking like, but I think it's time to take a little trip down memory lane. A lot of you are really young and none of you fucking remember this. That's why it should be exciting for you. It's like looking through a Viewmaster and going like this with the... Oh, look, 1977. Are you fucking kidding me? Why is their hair like that? Is everyone a lesbian tennis star? Yeah. Super fucking loud. I can't do it, but... I thought at one point in my life that this was the best song of all time. And uh, my parents had to sit through quite a few playings of it. <laughs> we had a shit phonograph uh, 
in the living room, but I had my own shit phonograph in the back and it had brown cables that went from these terrible speakers and there were two screws that came out of the speaker and in a death defying event you were supposed to connect copper cords that ran out of the back of the uh, uh, wire into the speaker and then screw the screws in and that was how the connection was made to your awesome stereo I was shocked beyond all comprehension crowd's gone quiet again This is like writing a book. It's a largely solitary exercise. (laughs) Fucking good record, that. Rick Derringer's a bit of a right-winger, but there you are. I hope I'm not wrong about that. Uh, So we would park and smoke dope, or we would go to Kenyatta College and smoke dope, or we would go to the College of San Mateo and park there and smoke dope. When I was at the College of San Mateo for my two illustrious years at junior college, Uh, The knob of knowledge, we called it. Harvard on the hill was the colloquial term for it. (laughs) We called it nipping at the knob of knowledge, my friends and I, in our sophisticated group of Rues. And um, the Mid-Peninsula in the 70s was awash in drugs, and that's what made it good. Because it was a place of stultifying whiteness and uh, not a lot of free thinking going on. Although much more liberal than where the, you fucking people grew up. Most of you are from the Midwest or some unbelievable shithole. Or even worse, you're from fucking Los Angeles or the environs like Pasadena or something. I met a guy today who was from Pasadena. I'm like, really? So I know that where I'm from is cooler than where you're from, one. And don't go, I'm from Montana. Don't embarrass yourself, all right? Just fucking cool it for a five fucking minutes and get down with the fact that I grew up in the Bay Area in the 70s, which makes me a lot cooler than you, one. And two, I had better drugs than you did. You were taking fucking speed in Lexington, Kentucky and taking reds and shit like that. Or later you were taking Molly or whatever, and it was bad Molly, okay? So, which was also a very good movie with Bryce Danner. We, we didn't take any of the drugs that people take now because it, you take largely synthetic drugs. We took acid, mushrooms, uh, occasionally cocaine, um, methamphetamine, uh, marijuana, and um, magic mushrooms. And uh, uh, it was really enough. <laughs> we drive out to Half Moon Bay down Devil's Slide. Devil's Slide. Oh, right. Where did you live? Yeah, we had the old Harker place and the bridge. We used to throw dynamite in a lake to kill the fish. Really? You're a fucking douche canoe, all right? We drove down Devil's Slide on acid, all right? In a fucking Toyota with a faulty fucking U-joint that was about to burst out of the goddamn car and a shit FM radio that got two stations, okay? And one was KSAN. And that was it. And, uh... Uh, we had to make our own fun, let me put it that way. By the way, we had Stevie Wonder when I was a teenager. What the fuck do you have? Just answer me that. Are things worse uh, now than they were when you were a kid? No, no, no. We were coming out of the Nixon years into the Carter years. Not exactly the jolliest time in the history of the fucking planet. If you think it sucks now, we had hijackers that would take planes to Cuba and Africa and shit like that. And, and, uh, and lots of terror, by the way. People committing terror acts all the time. This is nothing fucking new. And a fascist fucking government. Nixon was the most delusional, paranoid, right-wing, white supremacist you've ever met in your life. But what about the one we have now? Nixon had read a book. Imagine how much more dangerous he was. <laughs> He had a legal mind. He'd been an officer in the war. He'd had responsibility. He knew about probity and shit like that. He didn't observe probity, but he knew about probity. He knew about duty and uh, uh, stewardship and shit like that. What I need is a glass of ice. Unless someone's going to buy me a drink and go to the bar. 
Thank you. Well done. That will be all. <laughs> Dr. Don Rose was a DJ in San, in San Francisco, and he was on KFRC. And uh, Lou, who's a good friend of the show, said he did an internship at KFRC when Dr. Don was still there. Now, Dr. Don, there were many kinds of radio shows in the 70s. Radio was really big then. This is before everything. We didn't have phones. We had to fucking entertain ourselves by calling each other and posting things to f- telephone poles. So we really did. We put things on telephone poles to let other kids know we were doing things. Like you go, we're doing a show on Saturday night, and you fucking paste it on. <laughs> and then you'd call people, hey, man, what's up? I'm wearing Adidas. Um, so, or if you were German, Adidas. Um, Adidas. Uh, the, uh, uh, we would eat ice cream. Very popular then. No, it was. Lots of ice cream uh, and pizza. Uh, so, Dr. John, uh, there was the hip, cool FM radio show. Uh, I can't think of his name at KSAN. Well, there was a, uh, there was KSJO, and that was the that was the hard rock, heavy metal station from San Jose. So, in the morning, it would be like Sammy Hagar at like seven a.m. because I got up at seven a.m. or I got up at five a.m. when I was a paperboy, and you turn the radio on in your room immediately, and it would be like wow. <laughs> Well, no, you're a candy baby, right? Like fucking, right? And then at seven thirty, uh, now you're messing with a, a son of a bitch, right? Like, okay, it's a little early. I haven't had coffee, and my mother and father had. Um, I think they were my mother and father. They were these two older people that were horrible that I lived with for the longest time. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Fucking awesome. Y'all will be there. Whenever you call. Heavenly Father watches us all. Oh, it's a long, long road. So we would get up in the morning, we, me, and um, under my... uh, Jenny Mitchell Hajara album cover that I had t- pinned to the wall and um, uh, have coffee and uh, then you'd go, uh, I would go upstairs to my friend Laura's apartment she lived in apartment 7 I lived in apartment 3 and um, uh, her mother had already gone to work and her mother was belonged to oh god what was that called At Warner Earhart Est. There was this thing in the 70s called Est, and it was sort of a combo platter of Esalon and uh, sort of like junior grade, like Hitler Youth. And it was supposed to improve your personality and give you control of your life. It was like, you know, Leah Remini, uh, Telegenics or whatever they call it, Dianetics. It was like, (laughs) thank you. I'm trying to do comedy. Only Ryan's laughing up here. Ryan's laughing. Everyone else is like, you really can't think of the name of it? Yeah, fuck away, okay? So, I thought telegenics was funnier. But you guys are judgmental and low energy. It's like playing to a bunch of Jeb Bushes. So, I've already put down your fucking hometown and your shitty drugs. I lived in a white community in the middle of a white area. So the drugs were high quality. I'll be running for the governor of Alabama based on that statement. So Dr. Don, there was a, the, the FM station, right? And I already did K, uh, KSGO for you. And they go like, KSGO, rock in the bay. Right? 92.3 San Jose. 
San Jose was a bastion. Now, of course, it wasn't then and it isn't now, but it was a bastion of white guy rock. And then uh, there was KSAN, and KSAN was the really groovy station. And uh, I can't remember his name, Richard. I'll come up with that. Hey, Richard, he, he would DJ like this. Oh, so. Everybody was. Well, uh, got some um, B52s coming up. Remember Friday nights, Patty Smith at the Berkeley Community Theater. Well, last time I saw her, she was out of control. <laughs> and then there was the AM radio station in the morning, and that was KFRC. Dr. Don had a crew of knuckleheads, just like Rick Dees did later, and like people do, you know, Ryan Seacrest and whatnot, but Ryan Seacrest toned it down. This is the morning zoo format in the fucking 70s. So there was lots of little interstitials, right? So he'd go like, hey, everybody, it's Dr. Don Rose, and a voice would go, that's right! Like that. (laughs) And then, like the fucking... So we looked down upon Dr. Don Rose because we were callow sophisticates who listened to KSAN and uh, occasionally KSJO because you want to rock out. <laughs> and yeah, KSJO would be totally slow ride take it easy by the way, Slow Ride's a song about sex. No one ever successfully had sex to that song, to the best of my knowledge. Next to Men's Bare Feet, the song Slow Ride is the greatest drying agent in the history, in the long, storied, variegated history of mankind. Nothing has created more coblo, more cockblock than the song Slow Ride. It's supposed to be about this hard driving, you know. You know the rhythm is right. Yuck. Yuck. More people got pussy to Ted Nugent than fucking Foghat. They really did. Never before. No, we did that one too many times. So, Dr. Don came to my high school, and I'm not fucking kidding. He came to San Carlos High, and uh, he had a walking stick, which all of us were surprised about. He was somehow hobbled, very Dickensian. And he had a horrible page boy Pete Barbuti haircut and a giant walrus mustache. And, yeah, and a chuck of boots and the whole enchilada. This is the 70s, a shorty coat. And he went, because he was an AM morning DJ, Hey, San Carlos, how's it going out there? And we were like, you know, me and my callow friends in our long hair and our bell bottoms and my Pablo Cruz t-shirt. And by the way, Pablo Cruz played my high school and I wrote it up for the yearbook. And I wrote, the lights went down and then, capital letters, Pablo Cruz. (laughs) They didn't even have their hits then. Uh, Because what's their great hit? Um, What you gonna do when she says goodbye? What you gonna do when she is gone? And and then (laughs) what was their other one? Oh, they did. When my baby, when my baby calls to me, I go to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I know you think that's Peter Allen. He wrote it, but Pablo Cruz had an awesome hit with it. They were very ocean-oriented. Ergo, their name, Pablo Cruz, and their logo, which had palm trees in it. They had two words of Pablo Cruz, and it was sort of blowing through the breeze of the palm trees, you see. And um, they, uh, I remember the, bu- the bass player, uh, 
buddy or I can't remember which one he was um, lit a cigarette up in our multi-use room which no one had ever done we smoked we smoked behind the portables me and Mike Novi smoked behind the portables before uh, breakfast and we would drink coca-colas and we called it cokes and smokes and then we go to foods class but he lit one up in the fucking auditorium that we had all our assemblies in and we were like fucking that is badass man <laughs> Fucking Mrs. Capriano is going to be so fucking mad. <laughs> She's in high school. And there's a photo uh, of the audience watching Pablo Cruz. And I am in this photo. And it, I haven't thought of it in 30 fucking years, but I just remembered it. I'm with my friend Jeff Purcell and my friend Tom Latroni. And I am wearing a fedora. <laughs> with wire rim glasses. Oh, I needed a stick to keep the chicks off me. <laughs> Not like now with my horrible sci-fi fucking... There's been too much killing. Too much pain. We all lost someone we love. Leave the gas and walk away. I guarantee you safe passage through the wasteland. Now I'm the emperor fucking humongous. But then... Uh, and so I, evidently he's uh, recorded an entire show from June 77 uh, of Dr. Don. Thank you for that, James. We've got to start the show. We don't actually have to, but we're going to. Uh, Pablo Cruz. In front of a room full of people who haven't the slightest notion of who Pablo Cruz is. What was their other one? Every day invites you to find your uh, So you're having trouble with your romance Well you better check it out before too long You better check it out Wow there was a, It was a long time ago when we were checking things out Now nobody checks shit out That's why we're in the state we're in If, if you had listened to us in the 70s We would have nailed this shit down Because we had uh, Native American rights We had women's rights La Raza, we had black rights, everything, gay rights, and, and then Reagan. We let white people take over every couple of years. That's the problem, isn't it? What's this show turned into? <laughs> Don't worry about it, little one. Just carry on. Now Judy Dench is in my show. My gender workshop, my new gender workshop, uh, Michelle gave me this as well, Kate Bornstein. Jennifer and I met Auntie Kate uh, a couple years ago at a groovy event out in um, oh, a hit museum out in Westwood. The Hammer. Oh, The Hammer. Um, <laughs> I was wearing um, giant harem pants and uh, <laughs> everywhere I go, from London to the Bay, it's Hammer, yo, Hammer, yo, Hammer, yo, Hammer, and the rest can go and play, can't touch this. I was at The Hammer which is sadly not the MC Hammer Museum. <laughs> if it was, it would be a lot better uh, because you know that they would play how they want to play and that they were also too legit to quit. Uh, however, it's the Arm & Hammer Museum who was um, a psychopathic art dealer and um, all-around groovy person who lent his name to the baking soda. <laughs> Ryan, I'm going to have you clear this room. Ryan is an ordained bailiff. I don't know if any of you know that. Ryan and I were eating honeycomb the other morning, and I was empowered by the honeycomb hideout to make Ryan an ordained bailiff. Come to the honeycomb hideout. The honeycomb kids are there. 
Is this all nostalgia tonight? No, I just thought I'd try something fun, but I forgot we're in L.A. Look, none of you can do me any good in show business, so this isn't a high-stakes show for me. Let's get real. Kate Bornstein is a... uh, um, God, how do you describe Kate Bornstein? An amazingly courageous um, woman who's just been through... uh, in. Scientology and then um, gender reassignment and just fantastically strong, humorous, the greatest, greatest life coach that could really you could ever have the aunt that you would want. And um, she wrote, dear students, and te- uh, has anyone ever accused you of not being a real man or not being a real woman? A, no. B, yes. No, but I felt that myself. D, yes. And I've had to agree with them. Uh, dear students and teachers of gender and sexuality, if any of the following statements or questions intrigue, tantalize, and or outrage you, please check them off. Can you change your own gender like you change clothes? Is there, are there really only men and women, no other genders? Um, aren't robots and pirates fun? <laughs> right? She's a kick in the ass. Um, it's nice to have um, the uh, Canton, Ohio Republicans here tonight. <laughs> I want you to know... Real man, real woman. Michelle, give me this. Discovering your gender aptitude. Do you want me to read the quiz or the other part here? Quiz. All right, let's take the quiz. This will be like Cosmo. (laughs) Pretend you're in your dermatologist's office. All right, you guys are poor. Pretend you're at the laundromat and you found a Cosmo that someone laughed. Pretend someone gave you a Cosmo. Pretend you still read magazines. Quiz, your gender aptitude, section one, assumptions. Which of the following most accurately describes something that you assume is true about yourself? And I'm going to let you guys vote. A, I'm a real man. B, I'm a real woman. C, I'm not a real man or a real woman, but I'd like to be. D, none of the above. I'm something else entirely. Who's for A, I'm a real man? Nobody. Who's for B, I'm a real woman? Nobody. C, I'm not a real man or a real woman, but I'd like to be. Nobody again. D, none of the above. I'm something else entirely. (laughs) Duly noted, duly recorded. November 17th, 1985. Oh, there's a score. Yeah, there's a scoring. This is like Cosmo. Um, how to drive your boyfriend wild. <laughs> Give yourself five points if you checked A, three points if you checked B, one point for C, and no points for D. Aww. Right? Your, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to Kobayashi Maru this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm inverting that. So we're going to get five points. And since there's one, two, three, seventy of you, we're going to have 350 points for that part there. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. Boys who love girls, who love boys, who love girls, who love boys, who love girls. Always should be someone you really love. (laughs) Nobody blur. Gender with power hierarchy. This is the kind of post-it note that every man dreams of getting. (laughs) When I left San Carlos, I only had two things on my mind. Crushing mad puss and receiving a post-it note with... Gender within power hierarchy on it. The chapter's titled, Eat My Gender. (laughs) 
Remember the old food group pyramid? At the very top are sugars and fats. From a purely social justice point of view, gender confers or withholds power. Fucking A, does it ever. The pyramid... Oh, that's the part you've marked. Well, you've actually marked it, haven't you? You clever scholar, you. Uh, so a symbol for gender would look like this pyramid, where the height represents power and width represents... Where the height represents power and width represents the number of people who've got that power. Mm. The top's got all the power. The bottom's got all the people. And it's not a matter of having all the power or none of the power. There's a gradient. Yep, I like this symbol. We can get some work done with this symbol. That is so awesome. Thank you very much, Michelle, for giving me this book. And uh, I urge you to read Kate Bornstein or watch her. Uh, there's a, a tremendous documentary about her as well. That's great grand fun and um, really uplifting, let's be honest. Much like the election was uh, a week ago where we elected a bunch of trans people in this country. <laughs> In the face of the white man death cult pedophile party uh, that's bent on nuclear destruction, it feels good to have a few trans people kicking around the old place, livening up our fucking spirits and reminding us that we're not so fucking special after all. Um, let's see here. What the fuck did I write there? Oh, fivecalls.org. I'm urging you to do that again, please. And the men, please pick up a goddamn phone. It's really easy uh, when you go on. Um, I was up, up in Denvier and we did, um, we had the Tighter Cover bookstore there to help sell the book and also... Are you going to the bar? Yeah. yeah. And um, they, uh, Ryan's left the helm here. I'm going to run over and fuck with the controls now. Who was that song? Was that Pink Floyd? Set the controls for the heart of the sun. Except it was never that, uh, 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 you know, obvious. That Pink Floyd song is the most arcane Pink Floyd song of all. It goes. And then the vocals. What? Get near the mic. Did you guys listen to a Beatles album and take a lot of fucking edibles? What happened here? Why are you murmuring at me? Pink Floyd did a lot of murmuring. And then in the 70s, the era I was talking about, that was heavy Pink Floyd. Not my favorite, but it was heavy Pink Floyd. Because it would be like... And then their vocals. What? Sing, goddammit. Sing. Come on, like Judy Garland. Get out there. Let it out. What? Now you see why I went to Rod Stewart. I'm a three-time loser. Right? Uh, Puerto Rico is uh, completely underwater still and has no food or electricity. Um, This is, um, I believe, something that he... Orange 45 um, hasn't had... People keep saying he hasn't had his Katrina moment. That's a complete lack of responsibility on the part of the media. He should be excoriated and crucified for what he didn't did and is done doing um, to Puerto Rico. It would have been so easy to make it easier. Instead, we've relied on um, chefs and celebrities and um, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda and uh, Jose Andre and so many zillions of people who've gone down there and um, done the work of the Lord. Um, and I feel... 
that will note this. Not now, but in a couple of years' time, um, Puerto Rico will make its way out of this with a giant diaspora like New Orleans. It's as bad as Katrina. As many people are going to be displaced as Katrina, more people are going to die than died in Katrina. Way more people. And we're sending them cookies and baby Ruth bars and shit like that. This is like the redneck government that just is openly hateful toward anyone who's not white. And this is what you get. Um, I'm not trying to harsh your mouth or take you down in any way. What I'm trying to do is um, open up your mind. Uh, and uh, this week, um, I'm urging you. Thank you, Ryan. This week, I'm urging you uh, to give to the Hispanic Federation. Um, and it's at hispanicfederation.org. Uh, Lynn, uh, the, guy, the cat who wrote um, Hamilton, his father started it. And it's an enormously... Um, successful and effective charity in Puerto Rico. Um, he's going down to do Hamilton, not next year, but the year after when they get shit built. And um, he's been down there um, helping out as well. It's just uh, an extraordinary situation because half a million Puerto Ricans are going to move up to the United States in the next um, several months. And they're going to change the voting patterns in a lot of places. Mm. That's the only upside to this. Uh, and the fact that Puerto Rico has given so fucking much to American culture that it's out of control. Jennifer and I were in Istanbul. And, um, yeah, I know. I know. Your story, you're going to go, well, we were going to go to Culver City, but, you know, it was pretty crowded. Um, so, I'm joking. I'm being a dick. We were in Istanbul. This was a long time ago. And um, uh, we were at the Hagia Sophia. And we had a, God named, a guide named Mohammed. And then he came over to us and he said, this other couple wants to join us. And so we said, of course. And they joined us and stuff. Jennifer will tell the story differently later when we get home. But I'm going to tell it my way fucking now because I have the conch. So, um, all right, I protested. But then I let them, they came along. So they're from, yeah. They were from Puerto Rico, and uh, uh, we hung out all day with them, and um, we were at the gift shop at the Hagia Sophia, and Robert Wise, the director, was there, who directed West Side Story and The Sound of Music, and I had met him two weeks previously on the Alex Bennett radio show in San Francisco on Live 105. I'm not fucking kidding. I know it's all coincidental. So Robert Wise is there, and he was a small beetling man with giant glasses and a brilliant director. He directed Odds Against Tomorrow. He, in case you don't think Robert Wise is a brilliant director, he directed... West Side Story, The Sound of Music, um, Odds Against Tomorrow, um, uh, 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 The House on Haunted Hill, um, no, uh, The Haunting, rather, uh, The Haunting, um, uh, The Incident, no, The, um, God damn it, what's the boxing one? I'll come back to that one. He directed Somebody Up There Likes Me with Paul Newman, and he also directed um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And he directed Star Trek the movie quite late in his career. He edited Citizen Kane. And at the interview I was at with him, Alex Bennett went, you're a journeyman type of director. And Robert Wise went, I don't like that term, journeyman. <laughs> and then he went, I cut Citizen Kane. And, uh, and Alex Bennett went, did Orson Welles come by and give you guidance? And he went, I did it on my own. <laughs> so Robert Wise was formidable and quite right. He also produced West Side Story and The Sound of Music. So there he is in the gift shop. And Carmen and Seho are with us, and Jennifer, this Puerto Rican couple. And I go, uh, hi, Robert. And he goes, oh, hi, Greg. <laughs> so we chat. And I go, uh, this is Carmen and Seho. And he's like, hi, nice to meet you. And this is Jennifer. Jennifer, hi, Mr. Wise. Nice to meet you, Jennifer. We chat. He blows. He's with his niece. We had, anyway, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. He leaves, and they turn to me. 
And I go, by the way, that man directed West Side Story. And C. Hill goes, that little man? <laughs> and I go, he directed West Side Story. And he goes, Rita Moreno! Obviously, Rita Moreno, Tony, Grammy, Emmy, Oscar, Rita Moreno is immortal, Puerto Rican. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, the picture from the 70s uh, where she's Googie Gomez with James Coco and um, gosh, what's that one called? The Bath? Golly. I need some backup on that one, Lou. Uh, yeah, she's in a very gay movie from the 70s. She's, all, she's in a thousand movies and she's fabulous. Also in West Side Story, let's be honest, the whole movie's George Shakiris and Rita Moreno. When you're with the white people, you're like, mm-hmm. and then when we get to the, yeah, when we get to Rita Moreno, you're like, oh, Maria's going to get her kicks tonight. You're coming hot and tired. No matter if he's tired. Uh, the Hispanic Federation.org. Um, seven bin bag. Oh, the, my friend Richard Ranch, our good friend, Dr. Ranch, who is with the Comedy Store Players. Uh, Dr. Richard Ranch is at his organ again. And he, uh, he sent me this yesterday. Seven bin bags full of cannabis plants have been found at the side of a road in North Yorkshire. The plants were found by council officers on the A59 in blubber houses. Blubber houses. I, I know. I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> Near Harrogate, early on Sunday morning. The name of the town is Blubber Houses. B L U B B E R H O U S E S. Blubber Houses. Near Harrogate. On, and Harrogate is spelled Harrogate. PC, that's a, a, a policeman in England. Amanda. Are you okay there? You remember the song Maxwell Silverhammer. PC31 said we've got a dirty one. PC Amanda, there'll be no insurrection. Amanda Hanush Moore tweeted, if it's yours, come and speak to us at Harrogate Police Station. We're more than happy to discuss, exclamation point. And he sent me a picture, and there's a sign where they wrote that as well. And they've got the weed with the sign in front of it. And it says, if this is yours, come and get it. Now, Class A drugs are not um, legal in um, England, so you would be incarcerated. Anyone with information, and this is what I love about the BBC, anyone with information... And I'm going to read it like a BBC reporter to make it better. Boop, 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 boop. Madrid, Kenya, Kinshasa, London, West Hollywood. Anyone with information is being urged to contact North Yorkshire police. These are the nearby towns in North Yorkshire. Timble, Burnt Yates, and Kettlesing Bottom. Burnt Yates. He sent me a map. Richard sent me a map of the area. And there's way more. There's also a town called Timble. Timble. No, no. That's Doctor Who now. You're just being a fucking dick. Harry Potter doesn't get that twee. England is so twee that it twees itself into a twee. I mean, it's really twee. Burnt Yates. Which football club you support, mate? Fucking Burnt Yates. 
But yet, but yet, you haven't seen the best of us. But yet, but yet, right? What? Kerosene bottom, kerosene bottom, we got them, we've got them. No, no, stop it. By the way, there's kerosene and there's kerosene bottom, right? Like Baja, California. On a dark desert highway. So I'm in a restaurant in Denver. And, uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm having, I think what they call brunch. And uh, they have a giant video screen. They've done a diner thing, which is fine with me. I, lo- I adore a diner. Um, but they put a giant video screen up. And it's all videos from the 80s. And uh, they played David Coverdale, uh, White Snake, doing Here I Go Again, which is one of our favorites here at the Proopcast. <laughs> Do you have any of that there? I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. It was early-ish in the morning. Not that early. No white snake? Bollocks. Then I shall have to recreate it for you. Yeah. Well, I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. And I'm going to hold on for the rest of my Because I know what it means To walk along the lonely street of dreams (laughs) And so forth (laughs) It was quite early And uh, yeah They they played that one And you're like "Mm." You could really jazz up your playlist a little bit And then they played a Blues Traveler song. And at that point, I was like, no. If you play the Spin Doctors, I'm actually going to walk out without paying. Because if you want to be my baby, just go ahead now. Boo. Boo. That is the... There is no more scraping. The bottom of the barrel has been reached. I take high exception to that group. Um, let's see here. Oh, you can write me. There's no time left. There's some time. Uh, you can write me at fanmailforgrig at gmail.com. Uh, this is written to me by a guy named Greg, in fact. Um, but they're cousins. They walk alike, they talk alike. Talk. Of course, the line that everybody loves in that theme song to the Patty Duke show is, but Patty's into rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. That is so Kate Bornstein, double-edged quiz material. A, does a hot dog make you lose control? B, are you excited by anything longer than it is wide? C, are you willing to accept something into you that you don't know what it is? Or D, all of the above? We almost got some applause. Look at that. What What a crowd. What a night. Clang. Flash. Ah! He'll save every one of us. Fanmail for Greg at gmail.com. Uh, good day, your proopiness. Really? Well, he's from NZ. Slack. I heard you mention our recent election a couple of vodcasts back. And it's spelled with a K. <laughs> and bemoan the state of your electoral system. New Zealand is far from perfect, 
But I must say our electoral system sounds like it has many things you would love. Here are some of the key points, and this is what I want to get you. New Zealand was the first uh, country to give women the vote, 1893. Yeah, fucking A. And the women who led that campaign, but they weren't happy. Um, and the woman who led that campaign is in our uh, $10 note. There are 120 parliamentary seats, four of which are Maori seats. And this is what I found and find uh, incessantly fascinating about um, New Zealand. The Maoris are the medieval uh, uh, Polynesian arrivals on the archipelago. And they are given a full voice. And of all people outside of the Indians of or the First Nations of BC, they've sued in the court of law and won their rights, but from the government um, very effectively. Uh, when you watch um, parliamentary proceedings, when you read um, the media in New Zealand, there are, is a Maori presence, and that's just to us as Americans, because uh, Native Americans are relegated so far to the back. It's astounding to see. Um, 104 of which are Maori. People of a Maori descent can vote for the Maori seat or the non-Maori seats. Guaranteed representation for Maoris, you see? Question mark. I do. A few years ago, the national equivalent to Tory Republican government took the vote off prisoners, which was a dick move. Little or no gerrymandering. Our election campaigns are really short. Five weeks, I think. Political parties receive government. That's so New Zealand. I can't do a very good New Zealand accent, but I'm going to try to because of that sentence. Our elections campaigns are really sheer. Five weeks, I think. Sweet ass. Sweet ass, bruh. When Jennifer and I go there, Krieg, Chinifa. Yeah. Krieg. Short, short E's or long E's there. Uh, ask me for some bread and cheddar. Bread and cheddar. Ask me how I am today. How are you? Awesome. <laughs> Political parties receive... Awesome. Political parties receive government funding dependent on the number of party... Turn page. Members. And all political donations above 15 grand must be declared. Politicians don't spend their time raising money and the level of corporate influence is much lower. Lastly... Voting is really fucking easy. The main voting day is a Saturday, but there are voting booths open for special votes for two weeks before election day. For example, I voted at a pop-up voting booth at a supermarket at 7.30 at night, 10 days before the election. I wasn't asked for ID, just my full name and address. There's no bullshit about registration or anything because as we all know, voter fraud is a total fucking horse shit. Yeah. Our PM... Their new prime minister is a 37-year-old woman. Our deputy PM is Maori. And our minister of finance, the third most powerful person in the parliament, is a gay man. I leave it there. I'm sure you're a busy chap. I just wanted to make you a bit G-less. She is Greg. Greg. Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, we are G-less here. Because even though New Zealand only has, what, 3, 4 million people and um, 30 million sheep, uh, you've organized the area so cleverly and the food is sensational and it's just really a cautionary tale for us. I remember reading in a book and I'm not going to tell you which one. Would it have really been a bad thing if we'd been part of uh, the empire? Obviously, we think it would have. 
been a bad thing if we'd been part of the empire. But look at what the Commonwealth nations have done. Look at Australia's economy and what Canada has done and what New Zealand's done. Now, I'm leaving out a few. I'm leaving out South Africa and Nigeria and lots of other members of the Commonwealth. But I'm leaving in the Anglophone white people ones. And um, would we have really been that bad off if we'd just broken away and been like Canada, who didn't have the giant global banking crisis that we had uh, nine years ago because they fucking looked after their banking? Would we be really so bad to have a gay minister of finance, a Native American vice president and a woman prime minister at this point. I mean, you really have to ask yourself a bunch of questions about what white people get away with in this goddamn country. And then you've got to run to the phone and fucking do something about it. Right. This goddamn instant. So um, Chimanda Ngozi Adiki um, said this. And we're moving into this part, which we should have moved into ages ago. But Kesura, whatever will be but here's the sad truth our will I, I, I'm not even going to give you contest for this let's just go into what she said here's the sad truth our world is full of men and women who do not like powerful women we've been so conditioned to think of power as male and that a powerful woman's an aberration and so she is policed we ask of powerful women is she humble does she smile is she grateful enough does she have a domestic side Questions we do not ask of powerful men, which shows that our discomfort is not with power itself, but with women. We judge powerful women more harshly than we judge powerful men, and feminism light enables this. She was being cautionary about feminism light. I couldn't agree more. Um, when Hillary was first lady, and, I'm, and I know uh, you're going to go, shut up. Uh, she said, oh, I could stay at home and bake cookies, or I could take responsibility. And everybody went, well, why shouldn't she stay home and bake cookies? Because she's a fucking human being with two legs and a fucking brain. I meet more men that should stay home and not do anything. <laughs> Including uh, an entire government's worth. By the way, tonight's show is brought to you by The Mystery of Rand Paul. <laughs> Once he was a Kentucky senator. Then he was an ophthalmologist. Then his neighbor came over. <laughs> Something occurred, but no one knows what it is. Dead men tell no tales. Oh, so you want to know about the mystery of Rand Paul, do you? Woe be to you, says I. First it was three ribs, then it was five ribs, then it was six ribs that was injured. First they said it was an altercation that didn't mean nothing. Now it was about pumpkin and grass. Pumpkin and grass it's about. And he's gone back to his day job being a big part of the government, a fancy senator, you see. Walking down the hall with a fentanyl patch up his anus and six oxycontins and half a bottle of Kentucky bourbon down. Mr. Rand, Mr. Rand, what's the problem? There's no problem. Everything's cool. I have a copy of the tax code here and a red pencil behind my left. The mystery of Rand Paul. Weekends on True TV.
The New Yorker. This problem's nowhere more evident than in the tech industry. This is about sexism. Uh, women are excluded from the tech industry, but I want to see here. Sex, sex, uh, this is the salient part. Um, obviously, the tech industry is violently sexist. Um, men who demean, degrade, or disrespect women have been able to operate with such impunity, not just in Hollywood, but in tech, venture capital, and other spaces where their influence and investment can make or break a career. Melinda Gates. And she would know better than anyone because she is poised at the top of the pyramid as both a cis female and a fucking billionaire's uh, cohort and a force on her own with mad money to give to the charities that she does give to. Um, she's co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I love when billionaires decide what they're going to do with the money instead of paying taxes and letting the government decide what it's going to do with the money. That's always so hilariously refreshing and Mark Cuban-y. <laughs> Um, sexual harassment and Jennifer insisted uh, not insisted Jennifer suggested uh, so many things tonight but that I also read this wasn't established as a legal concept until the 1970s when two cases were brought by African-American women again black women saved us in the election on Tuesday black women tried to save us uh, in the election with Hillary black women um, have been doing everything they can um, to alert white men to the danger when people go why do you hammer on Bernie why won't you let it go um, black women voted 94% for Hillary Clinton if you can't understand why that would be the way I would understand the world and that that would be the way I would go if you can't believe that 94% of black women didn't think Bernie had anything to fucking offer and that black women being where they are in the socioeconomic Kate Bornstein pyramid that we have just described that they knowing better than anyone else that pragmatism and logical thinking are absolutely required at every moment so that there can be any forward movement in your rights and your agenda and that Hillary Clinton was actually the person that was going to move that forward. Bernie was whatever he was, but he was not going to move a black woman's agenda forward and they recognized that. And so therefore, one of my giant arguments is that the reason I was a Hillcat and the reason I'm a Democrat is that it is the party of black women. And, and women of color and Latin women and Asian women and Native American women, don't you get that the Democratic Party is the big tent? And if you're a white guy and you've got an axe to grind and shit like that, or you're a white guy and you feel things got a little too corporate for you, um, take it in the booty, my friend, and fucking get your butt hurt shit out of here and start supporting women right this fucking second. You've got nothing to squawk about. And sometimes women let you inside their bodies. So what the fuck are you complaining about and shit? Uh... African-American women against their male bosses forced the courts to confront the issue. In 1977, Paulette Barnes, a payroll clerk at the EPA, was fired after refusing her supervisor's sexual advances. She sued the Environmental Protection Agency. Mind you, that was during the Carter era. The case went to the Supreme Court, which in 86, and by the way, in 86, we had a much different Supreme Court. There was no, Rehnquist was a junior. Uh, yeah, we didn't have Alito. We didn't have Gorsuch. We didn't have Roberts. We didn't have, sadly, we didn't have, uh, we, oh, I think Sandy Day was on by then. Yeah. Not in 77, in 86. Uh, when did Sandy Day come on? I was going to say second term Reagan. All right. You're right. Thank you. 
We've got a Supreme Court scholar here tonight. Yes, the Supreme Court. How well I remember. Brown versus the Board of Education. Terribly difficult, tricky business, that. Fortunately, it came out okay. But now, oh my goodness. Why are you doing Toucan Sam? I'm not. I'm doing Ronald Coleman in the movie Talk of the Town. Still, the idea didn't take hold in the public consciousness until uh, Anita Hill, now Dr. Anita Hill, testified before Congress in 91 about the harassment she'd suffered while working for the Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas at the uh, Department of Education and later at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. Thomas was confirmed, but in the five years after Hill's testimony, the number of sexual harassment filings more than doubled. This happened today. Uh, 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 a lot of things happened, but Lawrence Evan, Lawrence Evan is a woman who's come out against Harvey Weinstein, and uh, this speaks to the heart of the matter here in Los Angeles. You will no longer keep us quiet or label us gold diggers or psychos. We want our daughters and our sons to be able to go to a workplace and never have to take a meeting with a dude in a bathrobe. Uh, that's the big ma- major change, I think, here. Uh, and show business, um, whether it takes or not, and whether it, um, I think there's a giant tidal wave brewing. Um, I hope and I pray that men are frightened uh, that have been abusing women in show business and that they'll do the right thing and come forward. You saw that uh, Gal Gadot is not going to do um, Wonder Woman 2 unless Brett Ratner fucks off. And that's because... She's a woman, and she got an okay paycheck for it, what we would consider a lot of money, but not really what any male star would have gotten for the beginning of a franchise, and they didn't sign her to a multi-picture deal. And it was the biggest fucking hit of the year. Everybody knows it. We all saw it. It's a fun movie. She's awesome in it. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's a lot too much, like, you know, the melting at the end, but, but she's an awesome character. And the fact that she's a mythological Greek character who knows how to rope and ride and shoot fucking arrows and shit like that and throw javelins and be fucking fearless. Um, they didn't sign her for a multi-picture deal. So when they came back and they're like, Wonder Woman 2, we got to do it, right? She went, uh-huh. I got a condition. You're going to take one of the executive producers off this fucking movie. And I believe they're going to, they're going to, what choice do they fucking have? This is Hollywood. When a bag of money falls on your dick in Hollywood, you're like, hey, I get it now. Uh, let's see here. Joanne Reed wrote this. Um, I was going to go through the whole thing because it's quite good. But uh, Joanne Reed is um, a journalist and she uh, is on MSNBC and has a morning show on the weekend because she's a black woman. Um, if she was a white man, she would have a show every night of the week. But for some reason, they've relegated her to the weekend, which I'm happy to have at this point because she's more cogent, concise, and uh, laid out than um, all the other uh, reporters on MSNBC. I'll be very honest. I like a lot of them. I love Rachel Maddow. Uh, but all the male reporters on MSNBC, the first 10 minutes of their show is pretty good. And then after that, it kind of turns into a miasma of self-reflection. But the point is, um, she wrote this for the Daily Beast. And when I re- get to the end of this... Um, I don't like the Daily Beast very much, as much as I don't like The Hill or Politico or a lot of the sources that I read. But you have to read everything. Uh, You have to read Fox News. You have to read NPR. And you have to read... um, Sometimes The Huffington Post, if if everything goes to shit. You have to read The Huffington Post as well. And Slate. uh, Salon I used to read, but now... Kittens. Anyway... 
white people. Yeah. I know. A wave of immigrants, candidates. Uh, this is what I'm going to read you here. Finally, the real majority pushes back against the bitter third. Trump's presidency isn't over. But Wednesday morning, we woke up for the first time to imagine what life after Trump will look like. Hallelujah. Tuesday's election allowed millions in the American majority to finally take it in the American majority, which I can't emphasize enough. Trumpkins are a small part of this country. The people that hold power are a cabal of people financed by enormously influential millionaires who've been able to, during the Bush, Reagan, uh, every era in the last 50 years, uh, hold on to power and take it back every time there's a Clinton or an Obama or anything like that. They made sure that Gore didn't win. They made sure that Hillary didn't win. They really did do those things. And that's what we're talking about here. We are in the majority. You saw what happened last Tuesday. And this can happen big time if everyone fucking turns out for real, even with the gerrymandering, even with the voter suppression, all of that sheer numbers uh, are, are going to win the day on this. Um, but that means that all the white guys who didn't do nothing have to do something and that all the white women who went the other way have to do something and that a lot of people have to own up to their fucking responsibility to the future of the world and shit like that. Here we go. Uh uh, to take a deep cleansing breath after a year of fear and loathing, watching the rampant corruption of our government and the degradation of our culture by the vulgar president and his Putinite coterie. It allowed the world to see that our country has not gone entirely mad. So permit me to be unusually hopeful about the future because no matter how dark the present often seems, we do stand to inherit a world free from Trumpism. No matter how pervasive and oppressive it can feel from day to day, it's doomed to fail because in the end, you can't beat modernity into submission, nor can you roll back progress for long. Gay people aren't going back into the closet. They're going to keep getting married and holding hands on the street and living their lives. Trans people aren't going into hiding. They might just run against their boldest bigots and meet them, beat them. Meanwhile, despite the NFL's absurd attempts at exerting control over the spirits and bodies of grown black men, the anthem protests have made black America's will Stronger African Americans will continue to march in the streets and rail against state sanctioned brutality and profiling. And yes, to kneel in protest, no matter how many bitter old men and makers of substandard pizza berate them. <laughs> the future belongs to the survivors of Trumpism, not to its proponents. The past is shrinking into the distance. And the Obama generation's coming back, whether the bitter third likes it or not. They cling to their doomed, dirty coal mines and their guns and their grievances and their dreams of a wall to keep the brown people out. They cannot inherit the future. These are the people who founded America, some by choice, others by force. Um, I loved her for that. Liz Winstead, who is a, a good friend of this show, and we did the... Um, uh, Jennifer and I went to Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, and did a... Um, uh, and a podcast at the Pink House there, which is uh, one of the few clinics in the state of Mississippi that it's the only one, the only one that provides uh, healthcare services and abortion services. It was a lot of white men screaming at a lot of um, black women who were in the underclass. So the delineation and the divide could not have been clearer when we were there. Um, no one perceives it that way because we live in this world. But that was God's bloody truth. And um, that was where the guy yelled at me as I walked in and thank God my recorder was going, you're a pervert on whose line and you're a pervert here. <laughs> I think it's because I'm often in sketches with Wayne Brady and I touch him. 
Liz Winstead writes, uh, writes uh, is a, a leading light in uh, Lady Parts Justice League. And uh, I invited uh, Jennifer and I to come on this tour with her. And we did. And um, it, it's really a worthy cause. She also uh, was retweeting um, a lawyer from North Carolina named Catherine Lawson started the Me at 14 meme. Or, or hashtag rather, uh, after everything Roy Moore came out, and he's talked about. Well, yeah, I went out with women who were fourteen. Roy Moore is running for the Senate seat that uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, the um, senator from the Confederacy, um, left to take his post as um, Attorney Schmineral. Um, <laughs> Roy Moore uh, admitted that he dated the fourteen-year-old woman, but that their mothers gave him permission. It has, of course, descended into Dante's fucking sixth circle at this point. We're at a place where all of the Republicans in the Senate have disavowed him, which is in a unique point in this administration, because he was sent in as an agent of Bannon to vote for the tax cut. And it's a very, uh, well, I'm not telling you nothing you don't know, but I just wanted to read what Liz wrote. This is me at 14. I was on the gymnastics team and sang in the choir. I was not dating a 32-year-old man. Who were you at 14? Tweet a pic, tell us who you were, and a picture at the top of your page. And, of course, there's been an enormous amount of response to this. One thing guys have to understand, women, is that every woman from her tween years on, maybe even way before that, has been accosted and harassed and sexually threatened and possibly assaulted by men. And that this is more common than you could possibly imagine. The whole two out of five thing, two out of four thing. Ridiculous. Um, you have to understand in your heart that um, any woman that you talk to has been through more trauma than you could possibly imagine. Even on a casual or friendly basis. Even with people that her, were friends of her parents. With her relatives. With her uh, cousins. With whoever the fuck it was. And that that's the truth of America. And that's the reality of America. It's not right. And it's not good. But that's why this whole thing is so triggering to all of us. Orange 45, first of all, with his 20 women who uh, uh, accused him of being a predator and who he said were horrible, horrible liars, and only one of whom, Summer Devros, has still got a case against him in the public eye. And yet we keep wondering, in the light of Harvey Weinstein and Brett Ratner and Louis C.K. and all of this, who's next? In uh, uh, the light of all the tech people, in the light of all the people in the literary world, in the light of all the people in every area where men are. It's not show business, and it's not government. It's wherever men are, men feel that they must exert their sexual dominion over women and that women have no determination over their own sexual uh, destiny of an evening or a day. Um, and that goes on for women from before they're sexual. And that's the part that's absolutely out of hand, objectionable, and the part that we as men have got to fucking get under control, curtail, and fucking start getting women's back all the goddamn time about. Whether you were afraid or not before to say something, whether I was afraid or not before to say something, we've got to face the new reality. And the new reality is that in every country all over the world, um, this hasn't gone without notice. That having a sexual predator elected in a misogynist backlash, whitelash, you know, WikiLeaks hacked, Russian fucking abetted, FBI, blah, has turned all of our heads. And now look at the courage that women have had to display. Because exposing yourself as someone who's been abused is harder than admitting you were an abuser in a thousand million ways. Men will always try to bring it back to themselves. I brought it back to myself just now. Um, 
but women um, have always had to smile and, and take it on the chin. And uh, that's why I think this is a apotheosis, catharsis, um, the great getting up morning. And I, I, I couldn't be more excited about that um, in a million different ways. Because not only does everyone who's been a fucking shitheel and an abuser have to answer for it, they really should answer for it. Because that's justice. And I mean all the way up to Orange 45, which will be a cold day and fucking snowball. We'll see a million things happen before that. But you get the idea. And it's certainly something to aspire to. And when you see it happen at a Harvey Weinstein level, you think, there's a privileged guy who was so privileged he was able to take ex-Mossad agents who were the Secret Service of Israel and have them hard-ass women. He was able to perform unbelievably well-funded gangster maneuvers to keep women quiet. I never, ever want to hear the question again, why didn't they come forward when it happened? Because men are intimidating and scary and threaten to kill you. That's why. That's real simple why women don't come forward. They can't. Because they feel that if they do, an avalanche of terrible things is going to fall upon them and their family. And that's the serious truth of it. Um, this is the moment when we can start to rectify that. When we can begin to make amends. And when men can do a bunch of things that they need to do. Apologize, atone, and do the best of their, to the best of their ability, try to make things fucking right. And not only do the best of their ability, bend over fucking backwards. I would like to see in this country, after the midterm election, and hopefully after the impeachment, um, no more of this for the next 20 years. I want to see a swing the other way so hard that as I often say, and Jennifer said to me today, maybe the dream of a Filipino lesbian president will come true. Well, we haven't much time, but I'm going to cover this. Um, Louis, um, we know what I'm talking about. He was a leading light in comedy, um, uh, innovative in a, a lot of different ways. And the things he's done are completely unsupportable. His apology was insufficient at the least and egregiously misstated, horrible, and uh, absolutely tone deaf and insulting. Um, he didn't do everything that was uh, uh, required of him. He tried uh, Dana Min Goodman, Julia Wolov, Abby Schachner, Rebecca Corey, and Tignataro. Those are the five women that were in the New York Times article. Um, Coincidentally, and um, um, you know, because the world's like that, my manager, Lee Kernis, was quoted in this article, and he's the one who went to Dave Becky at APA and said one of his clients was accosted, and they didn't really want to hear about it. I couldn't be more proud of him. I couldn't be more delighted that my manager is that caliber. Um, it doesn't speak anything about me, but it speaks a great deal about Lee, that um, he actually tried to do something. Um, what it says is that um, this is a commonly held thing that we all knew, but we didn't know who, 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 and someone hadn't confessed yet, and that these women are so fucking brave, and that this is a, a gigantic moment in the history of comedy. Um, more than... Different than the Cosby. Cosby is an avowed, uh, I would say, 
uh, assaulter of women and uh, rapist of women and hasn't had to face the legal system. Um, it's different with Louis. Louis is a contemporary of mine, and this is very difficult, all of it, uh, uh, not just because I'm a man, but uh, um, I've been in contact with Tig and we've communicated, and I just can't get over the unparalleled fucking courage and bravery and how unbelievably sincere and fantastic all the women have been. And I, I want them to know and that we should all know that we have their back. Um, there's no quibbling about this and there's no uh, um, parsing it in any way. Um, it's absolutely wrong. It never should have happened and it never should have been covered up forever. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Lori Kilmartin wrote a piece for the New York Times. Lori Kilmartin's an old friend of mine from San Francisco. Um, and she wrote um, a, a, about um, the entire situation in comedy. I'm going to read you a line or two from her New York Times article because I've run out of time here. Um, the movement... Uh, she's talking about being powerful on stage as a woman comic. The moment a female comic steps off stage, her power dissipates. She's a woman again. A famous comic can masturbate in front of her and his powerful manager can tell her to stop complaining about it. In stand-up comedy, the contrast between those two states is so depressingly clear. We get to be the person on stage who we wish we were off stage. And I thought that was astoundingly well put. Um, and then this part. Often when I'm part of a predominantly male lineup, I'll watch the women in the crowd. After the third or fourth man in the row, some of them look tired. I see them thinking, another one? When a female comic takes the stage on such a night, there's often palpable joy from the women in the audience. For a few minutes, they don't have to look at the world through male eyes. It's a relief. An end to the dude fatigue. I've never understood why male comics put up with the all-male or mostly all-male lineups where they aren't demanding to follow a female comic. Because I'll give you the same reason that I interviewed Sam Lacey um, some 25 years ago who wrote for the Baltimore African American and covered the Negro Leagues. And I said to him, and all the time he covered baseball, and he petitioned the commissioner of baseball in the 40s during World War II to allow black people to play baseball, black men to play baseball. And I said, and all the time you were around baseball, did any white team ever say to you or give an indication that they wish they had some black guys on the team so their team could be better? And he went, no, they were protecting their jobs. And that's exactly, uh, well, maybe it's not exactly, but it's analogous. Exactly was a bit precise. It, it's vaguely analogous to this. You get the idea and you get my general drift. The reason why we men don't speak up about this is because we want to protect our fucking jobs. And I wish I could say I was a better person. I try to be. I'll virtue signal harder than anyone else. Uh, but that's how it goes. Felicia Michaels <clears throat> wrote a piece for yourtango.com where she discusses um, a car ride with uh, Louis C.K., and uh, several terrible incidents that happened to her uh, as a comedian. Um, that's not where it is. There it is. Um, she was assaulted. Um, I think those tears... Here we are. Uh, I said, I woke up in the wee hours of the morning today with tears in my eyes over a memory I hadn't thought about in 20 years. I think those tears were brought on by the sadness I feel for the women younger than me who were brave enough to come forward this past week, years after having been humiliated and cornered by Louis into a situation where their dreams were kicked out from beneath them. Um, and then Judy Gold, uh, who's also a friend of mine, 
uh, wrote this for Flipboard. Why does it take some beloved celebrity to start this conversation we have so desperately needed to have? Well, because men. Why is it so shocking when someone you'd idolize from afar? The only difference between these predators and the asshole manager at the insurance company who tried to touch your boobs is that they're famous. Uh, Jill Tolentino uh, wrote a piece in The New Yorker. Uh, why aren't there more civil lawsuits? Why aren't Trump's accusers dominating the news cycle with harrowing op-eds? Weinstein's case is illuminating. Ronan Farrow's latest piece details the sickening array of options available to Weinstein in his year-long project to coerce and discredit the actresses and journalists who hope to articulate the story of his behavior. There were multiple private investigation firms and spies of all kind in play. Weinstein's case is different from Trump's in crucial ways, of course. Our president is not accused of orchestrating a complex undercover campaign, although after he called them liars at his campaign rallies... A vocal fraction of his political supporters have been happy to do their own. At a time when a Hollywood producer is hiring ex-Mossad agents to go after alleged rape victims, multiple press outlets have been hounded, threatened, and exterminated by the wealthy and vengeful. It would take an astonishing amount of courage to continually reiterate a sexual assault claim against the volatile and virtually invulnerable president of the United States. And this is the part that she wrote that I thought was really good. It seems almost cruel to wish at this point that these women would keep speaking. They already did. They told the public that Trump grabbed them and groped them. They gave the details of where and when. They spoke about how it had affected them. A poll last October found that 68% of registered voters believe their stories. Only 14% believe Trump had not made unwanted sexual advances toward women. So it's not that we didn't hear Trump's accusers. Or even that we didn't believe them. We knew that they weren't lying and we elected him anyway. Our response when victims speak up now has to be shaped by the magnitude of that failure. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings be a cool pop bell. And you have to buy bonds. Make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love. Good night.